You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. Here's my question. What do you do when faith is in crisis? What do you do when it feels like your faith is on the brink of being lost? Now, you might not be feeling this way right now, praise God, but many have experienced the dark night of the soul That feeling when God seems absent or distant and our trust in Him is starting to wane. And I know here and in the people that we know and love, many are just holding on emotionally, physically, relationally, financially and spiritually. What does faith look like then? Over the last couple of weeks and months, we've been going through the book of 1 Samuel. And we're going to take a break from 1 Samuel for four weeks to look at the book of Ruth. But these books aren't separate. They're actually quite complementary. Because 1 Samuel has been looking at the broad sweep of the national and political situation going on in Israel. It's filled with kings and kingdom, prophets and judges. It's this grand sweep. And Ruth is a zoomed-in snapshot of the everyday life around the same time. See, Ruth is a book asking the question, how is God involved in the everyday? How is God involved in the day-to-day joys and the day-to-day heartbreaks that we experience? And if you're experiencing crisis, if you're experiencing heartbreak, Naomi in particular is a wonderful person to be talking with. Naomi knows what it's like to cling on to God. Naomi knows what it's like to suffer and still trust, even if that trust is difficult and tricky. So the book of Ruth sets up the scene in six verses. And in particular, I want you to notice the names. Hannah's picked that up. Names are important. In the book of Ruth. So what we find is, in verse 1, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Chilion. There were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah, and they went into the country of Moab and remained there. Names are important. Elimelech means, my God is king. And Elimelech, my God is king, leaves Bethlehem, which translates to the house of bread. There is a famine in the land, but Bethlehem has historically been seen as this incredibly fertile place that God has blessed to be a place of grain and bread. And so Elimelech, whose very name indicates trust in God, leaves a place that God has blessed, leaves Israel, doesn't even go to a neighboring uh, region that knows the Lord our God. He goes to Moab. Now, if you know your Old Testament, you know that Moab has historically been an enemy of Israel. He doesn't go to friends. He goes far away, more than 50 kilometers away to the place of Moab. Moabites, they don't worship the Lord our God. They worship Chemosh. And Chemosh 
what he does, he, he desires human sacrifice. So this is a foreign land with a cruel God, and that's where Elimelech goes. There seems to be a disconnect there. Why not go to a neighboring land of Judah? Why not go to a neighboring place that worships God? But they settle in and settle down. And disaster strikes. See, in the very next verse, Elimelech dies. And Naomi was left with her two sons. And they took Moabite wives. One was Orpah in the name of the other Ruth. And when they lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Killian die. And so the, women, the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Names are important. Marlon means sickness. Killian means failure or annihilation. And very quickly in the book of Ruth, Naomi is almost left alone. Her husband has died. Her sons are dead. And in those times, a woman without husbands and without sons had no future. This is meant to zero us in and focus in, us in and ask the question, what on earth is going to happen to Naomi? What on earth is going to happen to this woman? See, the book of Ruth is almost the book of Naomi. It's about not just the redemption of Ruth, but the redemption of Naomi. We're meant to ask the question, what is going to happen to Naomi? But there is hope. What we see in verse 6, in verse 6, is that they return or start to return uh, with her daughters-in-law for she'd heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she'd been living, she and her two daughters, and they went on their way back to the land of Judah. The communication lines had not been thwarted. They're not being finished. There's still communication between Naomi and Bethlehem and Judah. There's, she's still looking for the presence of God. She's still looking for God doing something, showing himself to his people. And so she sets off to the land of Judah. But what we find is that on the way back home, often it's not the first step that's the hardest. Often a crisis of confidence happens half Way, and that's what we find with Naomi. Sometime later, after she sets off from Moab, after she gathers up all of her possessions on the way back to Judah, she has a crisis of confidence and pleads with her daughters in law to go back to where they came from. Don't come back with me to Judah, don't come back with me to Bethlehem, go back to the house of your mother. So she says this, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that each of you may find security, each of you in the house of your husband. She kissed them and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you wait until they were grown? Would you refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. 
Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed his mother, her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi is pleading with them, go back home, because Naomi knows that the life of a widow is a life of difficulty. The prospects for finding a husband in Bethlehem would be slim. The prospects of being provided for would be slim. She's even referring to this practice of leveret marriage where if a brother died, another brother might take a, his wife into, her, into his family and care for her and her children, might even provide more offspring to secure her future. There's no hope even there. Naomi is old and by the time that she has any, anyone else, they'll be too old to have kids. This is a hopeless Situation. She's pleading with them, don't come with me. And so Orpah, through tears and sadness, cries out and leaves, leaves her. But Ruth stays. Ruth stays with Naomi. And I think in one of the most shocking and stunning and beautiful displays of loyalty, she says these words. Naomi says, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. Return. But Ruth said this, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do thus to me, do thus and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. The stunning thing is that in this moment, Ruth the Moabite has more faith in the God of Israel than Naomi the Israelite. Ruth the Moabite has more faith in the Lord our God than Naomi the Israelite. She's echoing the words that God has in fact spoken to Israel. See, in Exodus chapter 6, God says the same kinds of words. He says, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. She's echoing the same words. Ruth, the Moabite, has this faith. But where does it come from? See, they don't have Google back then. They can't just type in in Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, where does that come from? She's not typing in, who is the Lord our God? She can't find out those details no Ruth the Moabite the Moabite heard and found out and discovered about the Lord our God at the feet of Naomi Naomi may very well be having a crisis of faith right now but Ruth and Orpah for that matter have sat at the feet of Naomi through thick and thin through good and bad through heights and lows and they have learnt something They've learnt what it is like, what God is like and His character, but they've also learnt what it looks like to trust God and good. But she's also watched Naomi as she's clung to faith when Elimelech dies. And they've watched when Marlon has died and Chilean has died. She's watched. There is something about faith in the midst of suffering that is attractive and beautiful. 
Because let's be honest, it is easy to praise God when you've got a nice car in the garage, when you've got a beautiful home, when you've got a great job, when money's money's coming in the bank, when your relationships are all working. It's easy to say, blessed be your name then. There is something that is beautiful when when your car crashes, when you lose the house, when the job falls through, when there's no money coming in the bank and you're wondering where on earth you're going to pay the bills, there is something beautiful about still being able to say, all right, God, still blessed be your name. There is something beautiful about faith in the midst of suffering. And so Ruth has picked this up and is parroting back, I imagine, what she's heard from Naomi. So they journey. They go back to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned together with Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law who came back with her from the country of Moab. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Names are important in the book of Ruth. Naomi means pleasant. Mara means bitter. To know someone's name is to know their character. Naomi was pleasant, but now is bitter. Her experiences, what's happened to her, has shaped her and formed her into someone who sees herself and experiences bitterness at the very core. You can even hear it coming out of her words as she cries out, I've left full and have come back empty. And there's no immediate resolution. The chapter ends referencing that the harvest is about to begin. So the question must be, what do we do when faith is in crisis? What do we do when it feels like faith is on the brink, when it feels like we're just clinging on? I want to make two points. I want to make an observation. I want to show us a tool that Naomi uses to shape her emotions that I think we can use as well. So let me start with an observation. Grief often blinds us to the fullness of reality. In fact, that's the truth about most powerful emotions, that they blind us or give us blinkers, that we can't see the fullness of what is going on. So I think one of the most shocking things that Naomi says is, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Now, that is not a true statement. That is not true. For one, we find out later that she has a plot of land that has been passed down from Elimelech to her, but far more importantly for us reading this chapter, she has Ruth. Like Ruth, someone who has pledged undying loyalty to you, is with you through everything, thick and thin, to the end. You don't have nothing. But I imagine for Naomi, it sure feels like that. It sure feels like God has taken away everything from her. It sure feels like 
that. That's what happens when a powerful emotion takes grip over us. It feels like our experience is the totality of our experience, but it's not. The interesting thing about the book of Ruth is how little God is mentioned. See, the narrator actually doesn't mention God once. Naomi mentions God a few times, Ruth mentions God a few times, but they're mostly in passing. There are no miracles in the book of Ruth, there's no prophecies, there's no declarations, there's no commandments, there's no incredible acts. It seems like in the book of Ruth that God is distant. In fact, reading the book of Ruth often feels like what our relationship seems like with God, that he is distant. But just because God seems absent doesn't mean God is absent. Just because God feels absent doesn't mean God is absent. Because in the book of Ruth, God is all over these pages. One of the most helpful prayers that we can add into our consistent prayerful rhythms, whether that's daily, weekly, or yearly, is to simply ask, God, give me eyes to see. Because so often our experience blinds us to what God is doing. We have a narrow vision focused on what is going on for us and we fail to see what is going on out there because God is all over these pages. Why did Naomi come back from Moab? Because the Lord God had visited his people. Naomi is back in Bethlehem because God has done something. He's brought her back because he has brought blessing upon Bethlehem and Judah. God is not distant. God is active. He's just behind the scenes. So often our experience is that God is distant when it's simply that we can't see what he's doing. And so my encouragement is to pray. Say, God, give me eyes to see what you're doing. Give me ears to hear what you're saying. Give me a heart that longs to see your purposes. Because too often, our experience of God's distance is simply because we can't see what he's doing. Grief often blinds us to the fullness of reality. But I said that I'd give you a tool as well. You see, these words that Naomi says... My assumption is that most of us wouldn't feel like we're able to say something like this, even though we've felt something like this in our hearts. That we wouldn't be able to say something like that out loud, even if we felt something like this. We might not have felt the fullness of this. We might not have said, call me Mara, call me bitter. But we might well have felt that God is distant. We might very well have felt that God is angry at us or that we're angry at God or we're frustrated at Him not coming through the way that we thought He would. What do you do then? Well, what I was told growing up when someone went through a dark night of the soul or through a crisis of, of faith or confidence, what I was simply told was you just need to have more faith. You just need to have more trust in God, which is fine. We all need to have more trust in God. But it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to be told to have more trust in God when you're struggling with trusting God. It's it's tricky to navigate that, right? You're you're struggling to trust God and to be told, just trust God. Well, that's, that's not how this works. 
But what Naomi does, I think, is a beautiful thing that helps us trust God, even in the midst of our experience, because what Naomi does is she laments. Lament is this powerful thing that happens time and time again, particularly in the Old Testament, but all throughout the Bible, of crying out to God with the fullness of our emotions and experience and saying, God, this is what I feel. Here you go. This is what I'm experiencing. Here you go. I trust you to be who you are, and this is what I'm feeling at the moment. See, more than 40% of the Psalms are lament Psalms. We have the book of Job, which is essentially lament after lament. We have a whole book called Lamentation, which is Israel lamenting. And we often don't do that. What I grew up with, and you might have experienced similarly, is that emotions can't be trusted, and so don't put your trust in them. If what you feel and what you know about God differ, then put your trust in what you know and just ignore what you feel. And often we have, a, we have a decision, right? That we can either express our emotions or repress our emotions. We can just push them down and ignore them. But when there's a discrepancy between what we feel about God and what we know about God, you can't bring them back into alignment by ignoring what you feel or what you know. Lament is a powerful tool of trust that engages both what we know about God and what we feel. Naomi calls out to the Almighty. She actually uses a personal name of God, Shaddai. It's a God of hope, a God of provision. She's calling out to God in the midst of her sorrow. She's not just yelling into the wind or gossiping. She's calling out to God. And says, okay, this is my experience. This is my feeling. And this is littered all over the Old Testament. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 22, when David cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I cry out to you and you are not there. And what's always struck me is that he says, My God. Lament is a powerful tool of trust when we're experiencing a crisis in faith or confidence to be able to bring the fullness of our emotions before God and say, I trust that you will be who you are. This is who I am. For too many of us, we have a very narrow view or a a very narrow vision of what emotions are acceptable before God. We can praise you, we can give you thanks, we can express sadness, but pain, anger, disappointment, those are off limits. I'll read some Psalms of Lament. They are filled with frustration and anger of disappointment. But let me encourage you. God is not surprised at what you feel. God is not shocked by what you feel. He made you. He knows you. He loved you. Loves you. Not just loved you. Right? He is for you. You can bring what you feel before him. So I want to challenge you this week to take 10 minutes, just 10 minutes, to sit and write your own psalm of lament. If you're not experiencing a crisis of faith or confidence like Naomi, that's okay. 
it will be helpful anyway. But if you are, it will be a powerful tool to help you trust in God despite what you feel. I love the book of Ruth. It is a powerful story of how God operates in both our heartbreak and joy. And this morning, we have focused on the heartbreak, but I'm excited for the joy that comes soon. Because Ruth is a book of joy. And so whether we experience heartbreak or whether we experience joy, what Ruth reveals is that God can be trusted, that we might not see him, he is still present. And so we bring all of us before him. So why don't I pray for us now? God, we thank you for the book of Ruth. And we thank you for the story of Naomi. Many of us will resonate with the words that Naomi has said and the words that have been written. The feeling of emptiness, the feeling of bitterness, the feeling of disappointment or the feeling of distance. God, what we pray this morning is that you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear. God, let us trust you, not by repressing what we feel or by repressing what we know, but by bringing what we know and what we feel to you. God, help us trust you, regardless of what we go through. We thank you for the life of Naomi. And we thank you for the the faithfulness of Ruth. God, we pray that you would surround us with faithful friends to remind us of the truth when it feels like all hope is lost. May we do that in each other's lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.